0: Welcome to another episode of Berean's podcast. Each week we share a message from the Bible and examine it to understand and learn to apply it to our lives. The hope is that through the wisdom of the scriptures, we will all be encouraged to make real life change and that the power of the gospel will transform our lives. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode of the Berean podcast that starts right now.
1: I hope that you're doing well today. My name is Devin. I'm the lead pastor here at Berean. And I'm excited to get back into the Gospel of Mark. The last three weeks to celebrate, to be reminded and reflect on, you know, this primacy, the central calling that we have to make disciples was, was a beautiful thing. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But we're back in the Gospel of Mark today. <clears throat> Just outside of Indianapolis is a place by the name of Connor Prairie Park. And it's this interactive historical site where participants can go and learn about the history of slavery and those fleeing slavery on what's called the Underground Railroad. And the program that you can be led through is called Follow the North Star. You see, as slaves were running, hiding, and making their their way through the woods and through the darkness, trying to flee, they had one central, all-encompassing kind of standout marker that was guiding them in their flight, and it was the North Star. That as long as they kept their eyes on that, as long as they had a sight of that, their steps would be leading them towards the place and the promise of freedom. Follow the North Star. Hmm. Well, let me ask you a question. What is your North Star? I mean, we all have something that is driving us, something that we are following, something that has captured our attention, that consumes our mind, something that we're pushing and pressing and and moving towards. What is your North Star? I mean, maybe for you, it's this idea of retirement. And every day you get online and you check your investments and your 401K and you're talking to your financial planners and you're about ready to pay off this debt and so you're pretty sure that you are going to reach the promised land here in the next six to eight months. And you can't wait to give your notice at work because they never appreciated you anyway and now they're really going to miss you. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe for you it's when the kids grow in their independence or move out of the house and you can get back some sanity. Maybe for you, it's a spouse that you just tiptoe around, quiet as a little church mouse, just trying desperately to to keep them happy. Maybe for you, maybe for you, it's your mom or your dad. And it doesn't matter how old you are, right? You can be fully grown. In fact, your parents could have passed, but they had such an overbearing and damaging influence on you as a child that those wounds still continue, and you're still trying to live For their approval, even though they are long gone. Maybe your north star is your hedonistic pleasure pursuits. So a certain amount of what? Conquest? A certain amount of partners? A certain status of partner and you're going to suddenly feel good about yourself? Maybe your north star is a communist utopia where everybody has more than they need. Maybe for you, your North Star is getting the right conservative leader in to lead and get this nation back. What is your North Star? There's always something that consumes us. Something that either explicitly or implicitly we are moving towards. And today, from the Gospel of Mark... I want to look at a scene in which Jesus calls his first followers. How there is one person, one reality, one entity, one being in all of creation that is worthy to be followed. His name is Jesus. Because here's the problem. Every other North Star that you give yourself to, every other all-encompassing dream or vision or hope for the future that you put your faith in is going to disappoint you. Why? Because it's not ultimate. I mean, most of us, let's be honest, most of us spend our lives chasing that dream. If I only had more, if I had had a little bit more, if I had a little bit more, But we can convince ourselves that the issue with our discontentedness or our unhappiness is that we just haven't reached it yet. But there's a segment of the population who has. And when you go to TMZ, when you read the tabloids, you read about a group of people who have everything. And what do we see? What do we see in Hollywood? A bunch of really well-adjusted, balanced, caring individuals? No. And I don't mean this to mock. I mean it. The reality is it's difficult to get to the point where you have everything only to realize that what you were chasing was never enough anyway. So of course it's hard. Of course it's disillusioning. You're following something. And you can either spend your days trying to convince yourself that the reason it's not enough is because you just haven't reached it yet. Or maybe you'll be fortunate enough to actually reach it. All the status, all the partners, all the power, all the money that you could possibly want and then you'll find that it's just empty. There is one name, there is one person who is worthy to be followed. His name is Jesus. And today, from the Gospel of Mark, we're going to look at his calling to his first disciples. If you're able, I want to invite you to stand with me. And turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Mark chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16 through to verse 20. This is the Word of God. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Thanks be to him. You can be seated. Now, as you walk through, really, any sermon, but particularly if you're going through, you know, sections of the Bible, this was meant to be read in kind of one sitting or more likely heard read out loud in one setting. And so it's important that we keep the context or the flow here in mind. What has happened so far in the first 15 verses? Well, Mark opens his gospel with a bang. This is the gospel. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That this is not some mere man or mortal. This is the Christ the promised one, the, the anointed Messiah. This is the Son of God, come in human flesh. And so Mark offers that, starts his gospel off with a bang, and then he quotes the Old Testament. He says, listen, this is anchored in Israel's history. This is the one we've been waiting for. John the Baptist appears on the scene, this Old Testament prophetic individual kind of character, and he he's baptizing people in his His name and his reputation is growing and yet it's not about him. He knows that. It's about the coming one. So Jesus appears on the scene. He is baptized by John in an identification with sinners. He is baptized and as he comes up out of the water, heaven itself is torn open. And the voice from heaven affirms that this is my son in whom I delight. I am well pleased in him. I mean, the narrator has said it. The Old Testament scriptures have said it. John the Baptist recognizes it. The voice from heaven thunders. This is the Son of God. This is his Christ. And then he's led to be tempted. He is driven into the wilderness. It's a strong Greek term. He is led out into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. And there he succeeds. He overcomes. Unlike our forefather, Adam. Unlike Israel in, their, in the wilderness wanderings. Unlike you and I, he stood fast in the face of temptation. He is battling the kingdom of darkness and he's going to win because he's the Christ. He's the son of God. So he enters the scene with all of this behind him and declares the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. We would expect. Oh my goodness! Things are about to get action-packed, and they will. But Jesus has one more objective before he dives into his ministry. And his objective, and his first choice, is to gather some followers. To gather some followers. This is quite an interesting turn of events this is the Christ, the Son of God, and we're like amazed at that. And then we hear that he, what, he's gathering a bunch of fishermen around him. You see, as you study scripture, you'll begin to see that this is a pattern that God completes and acts out over and over again, that God delights to use regular people to accomplish his purposes. God delights in using fishermen to accomplish his purposes. God delights in using people like you, people like me, to accomplish his purposes. And he doesn't go here, Jesus, to the rich, to the powerful, to those with positions of power or prestige, he goes here to a bunch of fishermen and he beckons them to follow. Now all of this is taking place in the region of of Galilee. Now let me put a few maps up here for you, just for some perspective. So this first one is kind of an overview of Jesus' life and ministry. For a man who has transformed the world, he didn't travel very far in this world. This is the region. Most of Mark takes place in Galilee, probably like the first half. And then he travels down to Judea, to there you can see Bethlehem, but then Jerusalem. Now if you're anything like me, you're probably squinting a little bit, okay? Now, I just wanna get something out there. Next week, I have a doctor's appointment to get my eyesight checked. So it's very possible that I'm gonna show up here with glasses in a short time. So just, can we just not make it a big deal? Can you just roll with it? <laughs> I don't wanna have 43 awkward conversations. Um, you don't ask me my prescription, okay? Because that's very private. Um, I wouldn't ask you yours, so we'll just agree to not make it a big deal, okay? So most of Jesus' life and ministry took place right there. This is the Sea of Galilee. Now this is actually uh, quite an interesting body of water. It is fed by underground springs. It's not particularly large. It's about 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide. At its deepest parts, it's 140 feet deep. But it exists something like 640 feet on average below sea level. So if you're there on the Sea Sea of Galilee, you can look around and see giant or significant hills in all directions. That's part of what makes it such a volatile area for storms and weather patterns. This next image here is one um, that I took. I had the privilege of, of visiting Israel a few years ago. And I'm not a photographer, so like, why, Devin, did you take a photo with trees Blocking 60% of it, I don't know. But this gives you a picture, okay, of what it kind of looks like and feels like. So somewhere on this sea, these fishermen were gathered doing what they did day in and day out, and they hear Jesus' call. Here's what I want us to see today from this text. Following Jesus is always costly, but it is absolutely worth it. That following Jesus will cost you. There's no getting around that. And we'll all unpack that here in a moment. It is costly, but it is absolutely, unequivocally, undeniably worth it. Think about the scene here. Andrew and Simon, Simon, Cephas, and Peter. But think about this situation here. Simon and Andrew waking up early in the morning, doing what they did day in and day out. Grabbing something small to eat, stumbling down to the shore, checking on the provisions, checking on the boat, checking on their net, and doing what they did day in and day out. This wasn't a glamorous life, but the region was entirely dependent on fish as the primary protein source. So it has some stability. They seem to be doing somewhat well, where them and James and John, their father was well known enough to have hired servants to can help him with the work. It wasn't a glamorous lifestyle, but it was somewhat stable. And here comes this individual named Jesus, and they would have known him. Do you recognize that? In the Gospel of John, you can read more about the back and forth, but There wasn't five million people in this region. It was pretty sparsely populated. They would have heard, they would have met him on occasion. And here, for some reason, some God-ordained, spirit-driven reason, they hear Jesus calling them. And they say yes. And they stop what they're doing. And they follow him. this is in some ways an insane proposition from a human perspective i mean i'm sure they they could have returned at some point and zebedee their father wouldn't have rejected them forever but this is a huge risk for them to take jesus was not the typical rabbi of the day and age that you would follow he wasn't like he was a rising star and so they just wanted to hitch their train to him because he was gaining power and influence this is at the beginning of his ministry and these disciples themselves, they weren't extremely well-educated, well-to-do from noble families, well-known in the region. No, they were, they were prepared and ready to lose it all. Think about it. They lost their stability, their income, their job, their identity, their security, their family, their comfort zone. Stop being fishers Fishermen, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They knew what they were doing in the one first category, but they had no idea what Jesus meant by the second. You talk about stepping out of your comfort zone. And what you see is that it cost them to follow Jesus. And when you read the rest of the gospel, and then you read the book of Acts, and then you read the rest of the New Testament, and you get into church history, you'll see that it costs them greatly. Eusebius is a church historian and bishop. He was born in the year 260 AD. So not that long after the events of the New Testament, 200 years after. And he grew up to become a theologian, a bishop, a pastor of an influential area, and a historian. And so he recounts for us what happened to the 12 disciples, what happened to the apostles. And what you read is that it indeed cost them greatly to follow Jesus. Simon, Peter, was eventually crucified under Nero. And in the last moment, as he was being led away to be slaughtered, he asked and requested that he be crucified upside down. Because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same fashion as his savior, Andrew went on to preach in the Mediterranean world, seeking, seeing people come to faith in Christ. And he led this woman to the Lord, and it turns out her husband was a governor. And the governor heard this, that she had converted to Christianity, and instantly ordered him sentenced to death. James was murdered under the reign of Herod. John, John's the one of the 12 who got off easy, I guess you could say. Because he is the only one of the 12 to die of natural causes. But he was exiled, he was imprisoned, he was used as a slave more than likely in the Isle of Patmos. Church history even tells us that he was boiled in something akin to oil at one point as a form of torture. He was abused and horribly treated. This is what it cost them, to follow Christ. And if you ask them, was it costly? They would say, absolutely. And then if you turn to them and said, guys, was it worth it? They would have said, without a second's hesitation, absolutely. They got to see the miracles they got to see the transfiguration of Christ. They got to see him raising the dead. They got to see him be crucified and then resurrected. They got to see him ascend to heaven and then in their death, they see him there, seated at the right hand of God. If you ask them now, guys, was it costly? They would say, always. And if you said to them, guys, was it worth it? They would have said, absolutely. Following Jesus is costly, but it is absolutely worth it. So let me pull this back a little bit. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Because there's lots of different interpretations, right? You see census data of so many people claiming to be Christians, claiming to be followers of Christ, and it's like, I don't know. People who have no interest. What what does it mean? Does it mean that you go to church once in a while? Does it mean that you were baptized once and then that kind of seals you for good? And it doesn't matter if you knew what it meant or why you were doing it. Right, does it mean you just try really hard to be a good, moral person who's respectable, who pays most of their taxes right on time? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Well, it means a lot of things. Let me give you three very quickly. Being a follower of Christ involves believing. This is that faith that is so central. Believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, as Jesus comes here, and he's walking on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and he calls out to these disciples, these fishermen, he says to them, follow me. They had to believe him, that he could be trusted, that he was worthy of being followed. Believe, we are told, on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief in the Bible is always about more than just intellectual assent. You can know so many things about somebody. You can know so many things. You can know as you're stepping on, out the door of a window of an airplane that your parachute was checked. But at some point, you have to pull the ripcord, right? You, 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 have, to, you have to actually jump. You say you believe, but do you really believe? There's more to belief than just intellectual ascent. Following Jesus involves Believing. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Secondly, not only does it involve believing, it also involves obeying. Now let me unpack this here because there is a tension in the Christian life and Christians don't do well with tension, right? We tend to swing to extremes on both sides. So let me wrestle through this here for a moment. Followers of Christ are called to obey what does that actually look like in real life? Well, I have met people before who claim to be Christians who will say, oh yeah, yeah, I did that Jesus thing when I was a kid. So yeah, I got my ticket to heaven. And yet for the last 30 years, their life has evidenced nothing that could be regarded as interest or obedience to Christ. That they sure went to Sunday school when they were a kid, but then they grew up to live like hell. And if we're having an honest conversation, kind of candid, I always would challenge that and say, are you sure you're a Christian? Because your life has no evidence of that. If I told you I played in the NBA and you looked at me with my age, glasses that I'll need, I'm not gonna play in the NBA wearing goggles. I'm not doing that. My height, my lack of overall talent, you would have good cause to be skeptical of my claim, wouldn't you? If your life evidences nothing of interest for Jesus Christ, you need to explore if you truly are a Christian. So what does that mean then, Devin? Does that mean that if I wanna become a Christian, if I wanna become a follower of Christ, I gotta go and like fix myself and get all my sins in order and then follow Jesus? No way. Jesus is the one who fixes you and cleans you up. You don't fix yourself and clean yourself up to get to him. You're the whole reason you're in this mess, right? So who can fix you? Only Jesus. So that's why we trust him. But it does involve faith, belief, and repentance. It involves a letting go. A letting go to lay hold of Christ more fully. Does this mean that you need to be perfect to have it all figured out? No, but it means that as you begin to follow him, you need to be aware of something. Jesus Christ is a Lord. So what that means is he has all authority and what that means is he's going to step on your toes i have heard people say I'm trying to be charitable the most foolish things like maybe you have this tattooed and so you're all ashamed but say things like god is a gentleman and he would never push yes he would he's the king He loves us so much. He loves you so much that he is not content to allow you to maintain that pathway that leads to death. He's not just glad you gave him a little consideration, so he's kind of, he's happy with that. It doesn't take much to keep him happy. Just come to church once in a while and you'll keep him pleased. Live how you want throughout the week and... No, if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you gotta know that he's gonna tinker with every aspect of your life, but here's the promise in all of it. It's always to bring you life. It's always to bring you joy. It's always to bring you peace. Following Jesus involves believing And it involves obeying. If you love me, Jesus says, you're going to do the things that I command you. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't even do the things that I say? But not only does it involve believing, does following Christ involve obeying, but it also involves loving. This belief and this obedience is not white knuckled determination and grit. It's not David Goggins' spirituality. Some of you get the reference, right? I've just man up, try harder, do it better. No, it's always tied to the heart. that as you follow Christ, you begin to see more and more of just how amazing Jesus Christ actually is. You see his love for you. You see his gentleness with you. You see his kindness to you, his faithfulness. The longer that you journey with Christ, the more amazed at him you ought to be and the more utterly aware of your own brokenness you should be. You see, sometimes, here's how this plays out. Sometimes when people come to faith, they're like, oh man, I got these huge, like identifiable, significant sins in my life. And they pray and God works in their heart and God frees them from that, right? And they're like, praise God, I no longer have these addictions and praise God when he does that. What a gift of grace in your life. But here's what happens over time. You begin to see and get glimpses of your heart that deep down, what drove you to those addictions is still in there. And the issue isn't simply your behavior. The issue is the heart. And like an onion, you keep peeling back layers and beginning to recognize just how who will save me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul said, "What a wretched man that I am! Praise Je- praise God that Jesus Christ does just that." And so, the more you grow in your faith, the longer you're a Christian, the more you see the glory, the worth, the majesty, the holiness of Jesus Christ, and the more you see how unworthy you are. Man, your worship and your love grows. It's always about the heart. My one prayer, or my greatest prayer for my own life, and my greatest prayer for you, is that the eyes of your heart would see the glory and the beauty of Jesus. How nothing in this world can compare to him. And that whatever North Star you give yourself to follow, apart from jesus is only going to disappoint you is always going is only going to leave you lesser so following jesus involves believing in him it involves obeying to him bowing your knee to him and it involves loving him now we know that it can be fits and starts and starts and stops and one step forward and two steps back. But God's spirit that comes to indwell those who believe in him is powerful. And he will work and he will prod and he will help you grow. So the first step in following Jesus is is letting go and orientating yourself around him. I mean, think about these disciples here. We are told in verse 18 that they immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. James and John had the same response. He called and they left their father in the boat with his hired servants and they followed him. If you're here and you're a Christian, you would say, yeah, I am a follower of Christ. I do believe in Jesus. I'm seeking to obey him the best I can. I do love him, I'm a follower of Christ. Let me ask you this very simply. Is there something in your life that you need to, like the disciples, let go of in order to follow Christ more fully? They had to let go of those nets. They couldn't go following their Messiah, this rabbi, throughout the region, dragging their nets behind them. They had to let it go. So, what in your life are you holding on to that God is calling you to let go of to more closely follow Him? Maybe it's a comfort. Maybe it's your. Your reputation, you would never dare tell anyone about Jesus because what if they, you know, what if they thought you were primitive and, and a bonehead and just kind of dumb and, and out of touch with reality and naive? Maybe it's the cottage that costs you so much that you can't even give or, or, or serve or use your resources to bless people. Maybe it's a relationship that is dragging you down that doesn't honor God. Maybe it's a sin or an addiction I mean, the disciples threw their nets down. They left everything to follow Christ. It was worth it. So if you're here and you're a Christian and there's something you're holding on to, man, let it go because Jesus has something far greater for you. What is it in your life that God is calling you to let go of to more closely follow after Christ? But maybe you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ. You're not yet a Christian. Well, if that's you, I wanna talk to you for a moment. Jesus calls us to follow him, to believe in him, to obey him, to love him. It is costly, but it's worth it. Imagine knowing that your sins, past, present, and future, have been totally removed from the equation. Imagine knowing that your standing with God is not based on your failures, but on the righteousness of Christ himself. Imagine knowing that there is no judgment or condemnation hanging over your head because that condemnation and judgment fell on Christ. Imagine knowing that whatever you walk through in this life, that no matter what happens or who betrays you or who abandons you or who leaves you, Jesus will be with you to the end. Imagine knowing that when your death occurs and you are ushered into eternity, you can go with the confidence that he is preparing a place for you, that all of this is because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Imagine if this is true. Don't you want to follow someone like that? Don't you want to just say, hey, I can't compete with that. I'm going to let go and I'm going to follow that north star that is Jesus. And now in this moment here, in this room, I believe that some of you are hearing Jesus call you in your heart. You are hearing him say, follow me. Let me be your North Star. Maybe you've been coming for a while or maybe this is all brand new to you. Maybe this is your first Sunday or maybe you get dragged here every week by your wife. And you don't say nothing because the deal is you go to church with her, she'll go to Shields with you and you'll just, <laughs> you know, you'll, have a, you'll keep things peaceful. But I believe that God is working in hearts even now. And if you are hearing that call to follow him, I wanna talk to you for a moment. I want to explain to you what this means and how you can do it. Right now, In this space and in this moment, I want to invite you in your heart to pray. To call out to Jesus, to say in your heart, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I know that I have done wrong. But I know, Jesus, that my one hope for life is you that you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose from the dead for my life. I am trusting you, Jesus. Come into my life. I believe in you. Help me to obey you and love you more fully. Now, church, it's not the, it's not the words that we use It's the work of God in our heart. But if you have responded today to Jesus, to this invitation to follow him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come forward and talk to some of our prayer partners up front after the service. We make this space, it is a safe space for anybody. Come and pray with those who have been praying to pray with people. This is why they sign up, so that they can be with people and help. Maybe you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you just want to share what God has done in your life. But regardless, if you have responded today, you need to let somebody know that today you have decided to follow Jesus. Following Christ is costly, but it is absolutely worth it. Hear the call of Christ our Lord. Follow me. Let me pray to that end. Jesus, all glory and praise is due your name. You bid us not to forge our own way or to be our own North Star, but you call us to follow you. I thank you that you are worthy, that you are worthy to be believed, that you are worthy to be obeyed, that you are worthy of of our love and our worship. And I pray that if there is anyone here today who has not yet decided to follow you, that they would do it before they leave. Father, for those who are here who are Christians, help us to let go, to follow you more fully of anything that is entangling us or ensnaring us. And Father, for those who have responded today to the invitation to follow, give them the courage to tell someone before they leave. To come forward after this, during the music and after the service to pray with our prayer partners up front. We ask this in the name of the only one who is worthy to be our North Star, to be followed, Jesus Christ, amen.
0: And that does it for this episode of the Berean Podcast. All of our ministries at Berean are geared towards the mission of seeing lives transformed by the power of the gospel. If you would like to be connected with our church family or give to the mission of Berean, just jump online to our website at bereanmn.com. Thanks for listening today, and we pray that you are encouraged by today's episode. Be sure to like us on social media, and we'll see you here next time on the Berean Podcast.